This is Kick-Ass Politics. I'm Ben Mathis. If you're listening for the first time, this is a preview station for Kick-Ass Politics, where I put up a few sample episodes for you to check out. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you like it, then I encourage you to go to our main program at Kick-Ass Politics and subscribe to the show. There are a lot more episodes there. Just search for Kick-Ass Politics on iTunes, or if you go to the information page for this episode on iTunes, there's a link right there to subscribe to the main show. Also, feel free to check out our webpage at kickasspolitics.com, where you'll find show notes, book recommendations, and all kinds of extras. I'm Ben Mathis, and I hope you enjoy this preview of Kick-Ass Politics. This podcast is sponsored by Fiverr. You've heard me carrying on about them before. It's the world's largest online marketplace for services, with over 100 categories all offered for a fixed base price of just $5. Graphic design, business consulting, marketing, web design, transcription, proofreading, voiceover artists, and even legal consulting, and just about any other service you can possibly imagine, all offered at a fixed base price of just $5. And right now, they've partnered with Vistaprint to offer a special Mother's Day promotion. 35% off printing services from Vistaprint when printing a design from Fiverr. That means you can go to Fiverr and commission someone to design your logo, your cards, monogram, Photoshop a picture for you, whatever. And then Vistaprint will give you a whopping 35% off just for printing a design from Fiverr. It can be business cards, postcards, flyers, t-shirts, coffee mugs, baseball caps, tote bags, mouse pads, you name it, they can smack your logo on it. To take advantage of this deal, go to our site at kickasspolitics.com and visit our sponsor page. There you'll find a Fiverr link just for our listeners and that promo code to get 35% off from Vistaprint. You all know I'm a big fan of Fiverr, and if you haven't checked it out, now's the time to do so. Whatever you need done, find it on Fiverr. And now, enjoy the show. Hi folks, I'm Ben Mathis and welcome to Kick-Ass Politics. Tax Day was just two weeks ago and if you're like most people, you're probably still hurting from that hit. Americans spend an average of 13 hours a year preparing their tax returns. In the same amount of time that you spent toiling on your taxes, you could have read the first five books of the Bible, watched the entire season of House of Cards, or you could have even installed hardwood flooring in your house. And after the great ordeal of going through all those receipts and trying to squeeze every last deduction you can, you grudgingly write that check to Uncle Sam that feels like giving over a kidney. As a matter of fact, did you know that the average American household spends more on taxes than they do on food, clothing, and housing all combined? Well, there's one man who says enough is enough and it's time to get rid of the IRS altogether. Completely. Grover Norquist is the founder and president of Americans for Tax Reform. In addition to that, he's a contributing editor to American Spectator magazine, and he serves on the board of directors of the NRA and the American Conservative Union. Together with Newt Gingrich, he co-authored the 1994 Contract with America, and now he has an equally ambitious plan to dismantle the IRS and liberate Americans from our crippling income tax. It's all in his new book called End the IRS Before It Ends Us. How to Restore a Low-Tax, High-Growth, Wealthy America. And in just a moment, he'll be here to explain the history of taxes in America, how they got so out of control, and exactly how we can start to dismantle them and eventually do away with the IRS entirely. 
So stay tuned because we've got Grover today on Kick-Ass Politics. Hollywood to Washington, it's time for Kick-Ass Politics. And now here's your host, Ben Mathis. Today I'm joined by America's superhero of tax reform, Grover Norquist. And he has a fantastic new book out called End the IRS Before It Ends Us, How to Restore a Low-Tax, High-Growth, Wealthy America. Grover, thanks for coming on the show. Ben, glad to be here. So... I absolutely, this is just such a great read, and I learned so much in this book. Um, particularly, one of my favorite parts is it starts off with a history of taxes in this country. And, you know, there's that saying, uh, you know, the only certain things are death and taxes. And I feel like we kind of forgot that that wasn't always the case. We fought a revolution, and we seceded from the British just because they wanted to raise our 1% to 2% tax to 3 to 4% tax. And now here we are. We've got 33% taxes. So how did we get to this point? It, it's fascinating because, of course, as you point out, we were paying 1% to 2% in 1774. There were lots of little taxes. There was even a, a baby income tax called the faculties tax um, uh, that, that some states had. And they would look at you and say, you're a young, strapping young man. You should be able to make this much money. <laughs> Send it in. Um, but it was only 1%. But still, they, they, they told you how much you think they thought you could be making. Uh, taxes are 1% to 2%. In London, our wow. oppressors were paying 20%. 20%. Empires are expensive. And, of course, the objection um, to the British deciding that they could tax more if they wanted to uh, led to the American Revolution. I count 14 different lies uh, friends of government tell. Uh, everyone knows that there were the patriots versus the loyalists in American history. Right. They were also called sons of Lib liberty versus friends of government. The loyalists were called friends of government, friends of the British government, friends of the uh, the occupation. And to this day, we have friends of government, people who always support the government against the rest of us uh, on things like taxes and spending. I count 14 different fibs that the government will tell you in order to get you to agree to a tax increase, which is not easy. It's, it's like that Saturday Night Live routine, uh, Landshark, where, where the Landshark keeps knocking on the door and saying he's a pizza delivery man, <laughs> somehow to get you to open yeah. the door. And you know better. So the first one or two doesn't, doesn't work. Uh, one that's been used a lot is we're going to raise this tax to reduce another tax. New Jersey had no sales tax and no income tax as recently as 1965. No sales tax, no income tax. But they had very high property taxes. And the friends of government said, we need to raise, we need to have a sales tax in order to reduce the property tax. Sales tax went in, property taxes kept going up, sales taxes went up. Ten years later, seven, 1977, they said, you know what we really need because the property tax is so high is an income tax added to the sales tax and the property tax. Of course, now New Jersey has a very high income tax, a very high sales tax, and a very high property tax. If you have a tapeworm, 
if somebody says the way to discipline your annoying tapeworm is to swallow one or two more tapeworms, and then your tapeworm will become smaller, um, tapeworms and taxes don't work that way. A lot of taxes are put in because they're temporary. The Johnston flood in uh, Pennsylvania was uh, more than 100 uh, years ago, about 100 years ago, and uh, they put in a tax on liquor to pay for fixing it. Right. Well, that tax is still there, even though the city got fixed a long time ago, and they raised it since. Um, it's, a, it's a a tax for war. Every one of our wars, except 1812, had taxes come in for the war, and when the war went away, many of the taxes stayed, and the money just went to something else. Um, War of 1812, they actually got rid of all the taxes after the war. We appreciate that. They they had a brief income tax during the Civil War. That lasted until 1871. Right. Well, these are always supposed to be temporary taxes. And the best example that I love in your book is uh, the telephone tax. Yes. Which was, uh, I guess, uh, it was meant to pay for the Spanish-American War. Exactly. And it was supposed to be, you know, everyone was told, oh, this won't affect you. This will only affect the rich because, you know, they were the only people who had telephones. And to this day, we still have a telephone tax and it affects everyone. 1898, they put in a tax on phone calls, long-distance phone calls, billed on time and distance. It's going to be temporary. War wasn't going to last forever. It was a war tax, patriotic. It was a tax on other people, the rich, because phones cost $5,000 in those today's yeah. dollars. Um, and it was a hidden tax because it was hidden inside your phone bill. Mm. So it was a perfect tax. Yeah. Uh, war ends. They kept it going. Everybody has a phone, except really rich people who don't want phones. <laughs> uh, and so everybody's paying this 3% federal excise tax. And they had to go to court eight times to point out that we don't do long-distance billing by distance and time anymore. And the Bush administration, the Bush administration, went to court and said, well, when it said and, it meant or. It was like some Bill Clinton thing. And eventually the court said, go away. And most of the tax was gone away, done away with uh, by the courts, but it, there's still a sliver there. So how did we get to this point? You point out in your book that most of most of the colonies were founded, or many of them, as tax havens, yes, essentially. Yes, yes. Where did we go so so far astray? Well, over, it took a long time. It took a long time. We didn't have a federal income tax on any permanent basis until 1913. Uh, total taxes were less than 10% of the economy prior to uh, the Great Depression. Uh, people and half of our government, half of the federal government, came into existence during four years in American history. Uh, 1934 to 36 after a couple of landslide victories by FDR. They put in Social Security and a number of entitlements. And then 64 to 66, 30 years later, Great Society, Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, those sorts of things. Um, Those four years in American history, they planted little oak tree, little acorns, and they grew over time to be 10% of the economy, half of our federal government. So when people say we all agreed, no, we didn't. There were these two periods in history when one party screwed up and the other party was powerful and they rammed it through and what they passed grew. Now, the good news is that we can undo much of that in one year. The right, the Ryan, but well, at the end of the book, the, the, the first part of the book is how do we get into this mess? Second part of the book is what are the 25 different things we can do to turn it around? There's not one solution. There are many. 
But one of the big ones is the Paul Ryan budget plan, which reforms entitlements, block grants, welfare programs, means-tested welfare programs, like we did under Clinton with welfare aid to families with dependent children. Mm-hmm. And what his plan would do is to reform the entitlement program so that they're sustainable and block grant welfare out to the states the same way we did with aid to families with dependent children. That saves $6 trillion in 10 years. And instead of our federal government growing from 20% of the economy, 20% of GDP, up to 40 in the next 30, 40 years, wow. just as the econ- as people age, takes it back down below 20. Mm-hmm. So it really does a U-turn on our present road to serfdom, and that only takes one vote, one time, 51 senators, majority in the House, and a president will sign it. That bill would pass in early 2017 if we elect a Republican president in 2016. That's how quickly you can turn this around. You say there are several different paths with the ultimate goal being to literally end the, to get rid of the IRS. Yeah. And I I have to imagine when you say that, a lot of people probably wonder, is that even possible? Can, <laughs> most people probably didn't even know that, that, that we could do it. It's such an institution. Is it plausible that we could just do away with the IRS? I mean, what a dream that would be. Yeah, you can. But what it requires two things. Remember, for most of our history, we didn't have an IRS because we didn't have a big government. Right. You don't have to have a big government. Growth is better to help poor people than a big government. Growth is better to help the middle class than a big government. Uh, growth <clears throat> is a better way to structure society than a big government allocating resources. And what we have to do is deconstruct the size and cost of government in a way that's pro-growth. So growth replaces economic growth, more jobs, more opportunity, replaces things the government used to give you yeah. after they took them from you. But but people tend to focus on the, the, the getting them part. Um, nine states right now have no income tax. I believe that in the next 15 years, that's going to be closer to 25 states. And the reason for that, yeah, um, Kansas has already passed a law that whenever economic growth brings spent, uh, revenue up more than plus 2%, anything beyond that goes to permanently ratcheting down the state income tax. So in 15 years, this law has already passed. It, nothing needs to happen. In 15 years, Kansas will not have a personal income tax in the state. Uh, Mississippi House voted to do that as well. Now they're arguing with the Senate. That's right. North Carolina uh, voted to do it down to 3% on the on the corporate side. They're looking to do it on the individual side as well. The governor of Maine said his goal is to get a constitutional amendment to do this phase out. Governor of Arizona, Ducey, wants to do it there. Um, there are 10 states. Louisiana uh, is committed to move in this direction as well. I think there are 10 states in the next few years will pull the trigger on a phase-out when half the country doesn't have a state income tax. I think more and more Americans will say, you know, we always thought we had to have a state income tax. They always told us we did, but we don't. Maybe you could do the same nationally. That would be incredible. You, You also, in your book, you talk about there are certain people who are just obsessed with the deficit. And that's oftentimes the reason to raise taxes, that the, or that's part of the argument, is to reduce the deficit. And as you point out in the book, the, the national debt from 1783, when we won independence from Britain, to 2000, has added up to $5.6 trillion. And now we're at $17 billion. It's literally tripled in the past 15 years. And you're against the idea of raising taxes to pay off the national debt. 
you have a bunch of ideas on how we can pay off the national debt and reduce the size of government. Um, and some of them are pretty, I, I find pretty amusing, which will probably rankle some people in Washington, like uh, putting in a law that uh, uh, legislators can't name anything after themselves. The, the Robert Byrd rule, I guess you can call it. <laughs> yeah, it. There are there are small amounts of money, millions, tens of millions of dollars right. of high schools and colleges and statues to themselves. But if you don't monitor the little things, the uh, the broken windows theory of budgets, right. um, when we got rid of earmarks, it was a huge tectonic shift in American politics. Up until two thousand nine, two thousand ten, earmarks were a sign of virility. Mm-hmm. A congressman or a senator who brought money back to the state was like the caveman right. who brought back a right. an elk or something. They, they had the juice. They had the power to make yeah. things happen. Yeah. Now it's considered like farting at the dinner table. It, it's considered rude and ugly and not talked <laughs> about. Um, massive change. Very helpful. One yeah. of the, one of the real victories that the Tea Party brought to being. And look, if everybody in the store is shoplifting, nobody's watching the embezzler who's taking the real money. If people are out trying to name things after themselves and get a grant of money to do it, if people are out trying to get little earmarks, 10 million here, 3 million here, nobody's watching the overall number. Only when you stop the the small theft Mm -hmm. do you get at the grand theft. Right. Uh, And another one that you mentioned that, you know, I think, again, I think a lot of people never you know, never think of this, but you know, when we have to tighten our belts, we might have to give up our car or something like that. You talk about uh, we can sell stuff. If we want to retire the deficit, let's just sell stuff. A third, a quarter of the country is owned by the federal government. Underneath it, uh, of the, the land of the land of the, the land. land. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> it's like England when the church owned, you know, a sixth or a fifth of all the land. <laughs> Eventually, the king took it and sold it all off to the middle class. We could do the same thing. Um, there's a lot of oil, there's a lot of natural gas. Um, Mm -hmm. All of the explosion in fracking and more gas and more oil in America, all of it took place on private or state land. It's actually gone down under Obama on federal land, even with the new technologies, less on federal land. Uh, All the offshore drilling uh, should be made safe and available. Um, There's land out there that's not near anything, and they're, you know, fracking. Fracking happens so far down, it doesn't get near the 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 base water that you worry about uh the groundwater uh it's ex- incredibly safe the the enemies of fracking and energy would be there in a moment if there was some problem uh there's trillions trillions of dollars yeah, and of anwar. value anwar and anwar's ready to go tomorrow yeah. uh and should uh there's also spectrum uh, that the government holds and ho- hoards. Right. The Pentagon has all sorts of spectrum. Remind people what spectrum is. Spectrum is all that stuff uh, in the airwaves that uh, right. that radios use and your cell phone uses. And people didn't have a lot of use for it before cell phones and, and some of the new technologies. But now it's much more valuable. A lot more people need it. Old technologies like uh, broadcasting used a whole bunch very inefficiently, very ineffectively. You can figure out how to use the same, much less spectrum, for, with the new technology, and that other opens up, and the federal government can lease it off or sell it. Uh, we're trying to get the Pentagon to agree to sell off, lease off, the spectrum that they have that they're not really using. Now, it means they have to reorganize a little bit, but if you tell them they get to keep the money, they'll do it in a moment. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with Grover Norquist to talk more about his book, End the IRS Before It Ends Us. 
Hey folks, I hope you're enjoying my chat with Grover Norquist. We've been talking about his new book, End the IRS Before It Ends Us. And if you're interested in it, you can get the audio version of his book, narrated by Grover himself, for free thanks to a special promotion for our listeners from audible.com. Just go to audibletrial.com backslash kickasspolitics for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook download, which can be End the IRS Before It Ends Us by today's guest, Grover Norquist, or any of Audible's 180,000 titles for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com backslash kickasspolitics. Or just click on the sponsor link on our webpage at kickasspolitics.com for your free audiobook download. And if you like what we're doing here at Kickass Politics and want to help keep us on the air, then please support the show by making a donation to our GoFundMe campaign at gofundme.com backslash kickasspolitics. Or go to the show website at kickasspolitics.com and click on the donate link. Your support will help keep us producing new and interesting programs in the future. And now... More with Grover Norquist. I'm back with Grover Norquist of Americans for Tax Reform, and we're talking about his new book, End the IRS Before It Ends Us, How to Restore a Low-Tax, High-Growth, Wealthy America. Um, one of the things that you talk about as being key to getting on the pathway to ending the IRS is first and foremost, stop the bleeding, and then we can start rolling them back. And one of the keys to doing that, and what has been really at the heart of your work with Americans for Tax Reform for 30 years, is the Taxpayer Protection Pledge. Um, how's that been so effective over the years? Sure. I came up with the Taxpayer Protection Pledge in 1985. As part of our campaign, I was working with Reagan to pass the 1986 Tax Reform Act. But there were fears that if you reduce the rates and broaden the base, that over time the rates would come back up again. How do you protect against that? I said, what if we had a, a pledge that candidates and incumbents could sign that says, I won't raise rates and I won't broaden the base unless rates come down. So no net tax increase and no increasing rates. 56 words, pretty easy. And because people understood how clear it was, you had two witnesses. It was a signed piece of paper. You faxed it around. Somebody had copies. This is before, you know, putting stuff on the web. Um, and it made it possible for an elected official or a candidate to pledge credibly. People have been promising not to raise taxes since the Persians would promise the guys next door, hey, if you let us take over, we won't raise your taxes. But they lie, okay? How do you credibly promise not to raise taxes? FDR wanted a tax cut when he ran for office and... 32. It's not what he did, but it's what he said he was going to do. Um, so the goal is to make it easy for people to say, here's my promise, and it's written down. It's not part of a speech with some thing before it and after, which, well, you know, in context, I really meant something completely right. different. It's very simple. Yeah. And so we got after the 90, well, after 86, we had 100 pledge takers in the House, 20 in the Senate. Then in 88, a lot of people took it, uh, including President uh, Bush, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush. And he wouldn't have won the primary if he hadn't taken the pledge. And he wouldn't have won the general if right. he hadn't made that read my lips commitment. And then he broke the pledge and he lost. Yeah. And all the Republicans learned, I get it. Take the pledge, win the primary. Take the pledge, win the general. Keep the pledge, get reelected. And uh, from 94 on, we've had um, ivory soap percentages of Republican candidates taking the pledge and, and keeping it. Yeah. There wasn't a tax increase in America between 
93 when the Democrats did it all with Democrats and 2009 when the Democrats raised taxes again all with Democrats. When you have a United Democratic Party, they'll raise your taxes. If there's a Republican House, Senate, or President, they won't. And that has changed American politics because politicians have one of two choices. You can either raise taxes to paper over the problems or you can reform government to cost less. Raising taxes is what politicians do instead of reforming government. All tax increases are instead of and in the way of reforming government. So you don't get government spending reform until taxes are off the table. Right. It's the lazy lazy man's way out, basically. Yes. You know, let's not do the hard thing. So on the rare occasions when you've had a politician who was gutless enough to break the pledge after they signed it and got themselves elected, yeah. what are what's what's the stick there? What's the, what's yeah. the penalty? Well, people people sometimes assume that Americans for tax reform or me personally come into a state and beat the governor over the head. I don't have to. Yeah. I think I sent a press release out about the fact that the Republican governor of Pennsylvania broke his pledge. Everybody in the press knew that. Every Republican, Independent, and Democrat knew it. Uh, and he lost re-election to a, to a very bad person. But he shot himself in the foot. He lost his own credibility. Uh, Bush, in 92, lost to the nobody, Bill Clinton. Yeah. Uh, wasn't supposed to happen. The pledge is self-executing because voters, and particularly independents, Republicans will vote for the Republican candidate because they know that even if they raise taxes, they're better than the D. It's independents who shift because huh. they trust someone who put it in writing right. and they'll have nothing to do with somebody who breaks it. Yeah. That's, That's what flips independence. Really? So it's not the, the right side Republicans. It's the independents that really get. Yeah. In theory, they may be less excited about your campaign, yeah. they, they, you know, they, but, but they're still going to show up and vote if they're the base because they know that the D's would yeah. do more well, damage. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Well, speaking of uh, of that, of getting elected and so forth, you talk about as one of the chapters in your book, uh, key to this idea, step one, is getting people elected yeah. who want to actually reduce taxes. And you talk about building that coalition. Look, not everybody votes on taxes directly because sometimes a tax and government spending issue shows up in a different form. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would argue that the modern Reagan Republican Party, the modern center-right movement, uh, the modern Leave Us Alone coalition is made up of people who, on their vote-moving issue, what they want from the government is to be left alone. So you go around the table, leave my taxes alone, leave my property alone, leave my business alone, my, my profession alone, people whose most important issue is religious liberty, leave my faith alone, people who want to educate their own children in private schools or homeschooling or have control over their education, leave my kids alone, Second Amendment community, um, I'm on the board of directors of the National Rifle Association, leave my guns alone. Um, uh, homeschoolers, there are 2 million people, kids homeschooled today. Right. 10 million have been homeschooled in the last several years. Uh, gun owners, there are 11 million people with concealed carry permits. 11 million, one out of 20, 5% of adults have a concealed carry permit to carry a gun in a purse or your car or the small of your back. Those people know that one party wants to take away their right to educate their kids or their right to have a gun. Um, new things come up. Vaping, the replacement for cigarettes. Right. Six million Americans vape, e-cigarettes, the equivalent of uh, e-cigarettes. Uh, Democrats are trying to ban it in New York. Uh, FDA wants to ban it completely. Even though it's saving people's lives. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Or they want to tax it. 
because uh, yeah. they've stopped smoking and now they're vaping. Right. It's healthier, but they want the money, not your health. Yeah. Um, and vapors, unlike cigarette smokers who would never come and, and rally against a tax increase on cigarettes, vapors will because they just look in the mirror and say, I'm doing a good and healthy thing and who are these jerks messing with me? Yeah. So d- lots of different people for different reasons feel the government's crowding them mm-hmm. here or there. And different taxes come up, property taxes, sales, income taxes. Vaping is a, is a lifestyle issue. Mm-hmm. This is people who vape, vape more during the day than, than, than nuns pray. You know, it's, it's a big part of their day, right. Right? right? Monks do a certain amount of praying. Vapors do more vaping. It is a lifestyle issue. Yeah. And you're coming and poking them and telling them no. So um, all of these coalitions of people who want to be left alone can join together to vote for the same candidate. Mm-hmm. That's building the coalition for freedom. Uh, it's framing the anti-tax uh, movement in terms of just leave us the hell alone. Small government, yeah. let us be and keep our taxes low. It's putting it into a broader perspective that appeals to libertarians and independents, not just conservative Republicans and yeah, not, some Democrats. Not everybody focuses on taxes all day. It, it, it's a bigger part of some people's lives than others. Some industries, regions, and, and jobs are taxed higher and more uh, poorly than, than others. Um, for some people, it's a major issue in their life. For others, it's a smaller issue. But when the government has more money, they spend that money messing with more people. Yeah. It's symptomatic of a, a larger problem that everyone gets. Yeah. I think you're on to something. It's certainly with all the libertarian-leaning Republicans that are getting into the race. I think uh, there seems to be a lot of appeal for that message. That's a big shift in the modern Republican Party. The modern During Reagan's years – now, Reagan said that libertarianism – he believed libertarianism was the heart and soul of modern conservatism. So he saw that. But – I'm not sure I've seen that talked about since Reagan said it in the 70s yeah. uh, until the last five years when somehow everybody noticed that the modern conservative movement was a movement of libertarians and conservatives. Yeah, yeah. And the Tea Party movement, I think, has brought a lot of that into play. And yeah. Maybe there are some people who don't really want to waste their vote anymore. <laughs> so, yes, yes. That's, yes, yeah. libertarian small L as opposed to big, big yeah. L libertarian party. Yeah. Well, finally, one of the things that you talk about toward the end of the book is just a general plea to people to stop wasting your money. Don't give the IRS any more money than they have to. And you list a number of points in there on how people can actually reduce their tax burden. And what are your favorites from that list? Oh, sure. I mean, the the book's a lot about public policy, but there's a chapter, Mm -hmm. do-it-yourself tax reform. You can cut your taxes. Um, If your company has a 401k, get into it. Look at look at a 529 uh, education savings account, the ones that uh, Obama tried to shut down the other day. Good way of saving tax-free. There are a number of, of uh, lifetime savings accounts, uh, health savings accounts uh, that, that help keep your taxes down. Um, with tongue-in-cheek, I suggest you move. Yeah. From a state that has an income tax to one now that you sound doesn't. Like my, dad. <laughs> I have my dad, he's in Texas, and he can't understand yes. why in the world his, his, his one son would be in California and his other son would be in New York. So yes. <laughs> um, he thinks it's insane. Don't die and pay the, <laughs> the death tax. Um, and, but also, when you do your taxes, don't overpay. If you right. take a look, if you got a um, refund this year, that meant you overwithheld. Look to reduce that because a refund is a um, tax 
interest-free loan that you gave the government all year. Why do that? Uh, pay what you have to, not more than you have to. Yeah, good advice, definitely. Well, the book is called End the IRS Before It Ends Us, How to Restore a Low-Tax, High-Growth, Wealthy America. And I'll put a link to the Amazon uh, where you can buy it on the website. And also you can get it for free if you go to audibletrial.com backslash kickasspolitics and sign up for their free trial then you can actually get a free download of the book. I hope you still get paid for that, though. <laughs> I, I, I did the audio version. I read it. Oh, well, that's even more fun. So then that, that's even more fun. If you can get Grover live, then that's even better than having to read. Well, Grover, thanks again for coming into the studio and talking to me about the book. And uh, you've got some fantastic ideas in this book. Uh, everyone should definitely read it. And hopefully this becomes a big part of the debate coming up uh, in the Republican primary and Thank in the general. Thank you, Ben. Okay. Thanks, Grover. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks again to Grover Norquist for coming by the studio to talk about his new book. I'll post an Amazon link on our website to order his book. Or better yet, you can get the audio version of his book narrated by Grover himself for free if you go to audibletrial.com backslash kickasspolitics and take advantage of the special 30-day trial offered to our listeners. Now, I know you probably usually don't think of taxes as the most riveting read, but Grover really makes it fun and interesting. There's a lot of history in here, and it's full of shocking facts about our tax system and some pretty bold ideas on how to fix it. So I highly, highly recommend it. Also, while I've got your attention, don't forget that Mother's Day is just around the corner on May 10th, and our sponsor, FlowerAdvisor.com, is offering 10% off to listeners of the show. Whatever makes your mom happy, these guys have got you covered. Beautiful floral arrangements, cakes, gift baskets, like their Godiva chocolate tower that includes 11 different boxes of Godiva treats, or you can even send your mom a selection of fine wines. And right now, listeners of Kick-Ass Politics can get 10% off by visiting our sponsor page at kickasspolitics.com and clicking on the special Mother's Day offer from floweradvisor.com. They even offer same-day delivery, but don't do that. Don't wait till the last minute. Do it right now before you forget and break your poor mom's heart. Just go to kickasspolitics.com and click on the special Mother's Day discount for our listeners from floweradvisor.com. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave us a review for a chance to win my book of the week. And if you want to support the show and help keep the lights on around here, then please click the donate link on our website or visit our fundraising campaign at gofundme.com backslash kickasspolitics. You know, we're not podcasting out of a garage here, folks. I try my best to put on a professional show here, but it isn't cheap. So please donate, and your support will help keep new shows coming. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickasspolitics.com. Or you can call our toll-free listener voicemail at 844-KA-POLITICS. In the next episode, I'll talk with Senator Mike Lee about his new book, Our Lost Constitution, The Willful Subversion of America's Founding Document. Senator Lee says the Constitution is in crisis right now. He'll talk about how many of his fellow lawmakers are empowering federal agencies to do their job for them, how constitutional lines separating the powers of government are getting blurrier and blurrier every day, and why Harry Reid once locked him in a garage. It's a true story, folks all in the next podcast. But for now, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass Politics.
Kick-Ass Politics is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.